Now, if you're new with us, whether you're new on campus or you're new online, my name is Trent, and today we're in part three of a series called My Church. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring a statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said this. Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, when Jesus made this statement, when he said he would build his church, he used a Greek term there, and that Greek term is ekklesia. Ekklesia basically means this, a gathering of people for a specific purpose. And uh, do we have any uh, NBA fans here? Anybody got a team in the, in the final? Well, the finals aren't decided yet, but you know, we're, we're coming. So if you were to gather your friends to go cheer on your favorite NBA team in the finals, that would be considered an ecclesia. So you're gathering for a specific purpose. But Jesus said he would gather his people for his purposes. Today, we're going to talk about that purpose that Jesus is gathering us for. We're also going to talk about how Jesus is building his church. And each week as we've started, I've started with a, an opening question. So here was my opening question for week number one. How many of you have had a bad church experience? And each week we asked that, there were hands everywhere. Uh, there were hands online even, because I got emails uh, from, from people saying like, hey, let me tell you my bad church experience. And I, I engaged many conversations uh, with people here who said, yeah, let me tell you about my, my bad church experience. And as I was listening to that, again, it reminded me of why this series is so important. We as Christ followers represent God to the world. And it seems, as we look at the number of bad church experiences that are out there, that we could do a better job. And so we're trying together to learn how to do a better job of representing God to the world. Here was our question from week two. Who's the church for? And for those who are here, if you're watching online, what was our answer? Everyone. Everyone. Well, that should be like a, a, a no-brainer answer. Uh, but for many of us, like uh, many people around the world go, like, I don't think that the church really is for everyone. Like many people think, oh, the church is for certain people. It's not for all people. And yet we learned as we watched last week, as Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and we learned the story of those disciples, like that was a pretty messed up group. And, and they had different backgrounds and they really shouldn't have been a group that really came together for any reason. And yet Jesus brought all of them together because he was showing all of us that his church really is for everyone. Since the church is for everyone, that means the church is for you. And you might be someone here today, like you're new to faith or exploring faith, skeptical of faith, rejecting faith. And yet, the church still is for you. Jesus designed his church family to be for you. Here's question number three, and our question for today is, why do you attend church? Why do you attend this local ecclesia? And if you're watching online, feel free to type your answer in the comment section. But for those on campus, I would love for you to share out loud, out loud why do you attend this local ecclesia. Community. Community. Worship. Worship. Fellowship. Build your faith. Reinforcement. Why do you get up early on a Sunday morning when you could be at the beach? And why are you here in a middle school? Why? 
Jesus, somebody over here, belief, encouragement, fellowship. Well, uh, let me point out a common thing that happened in the first service, happened in the second service. You notice no one said anything about the teaching. Like you get that? I'm not offended by that at all. Really, I'm not. I'll be okay the rest of the morning. But just recognizing that. So we come together for all kinds of different reasons to be a part of an ecclesia. Today, we're going to explore why we should attend church. And again, we're going to look at how Jesus is building his church, the purpose Jesus has given us. And we're going to do this by looking at five foundational truths. Uh, they're, they're like building blocks for how Jesus is building his church. If you're a note taker, uh, I recommend you take notes. If you've got a smartphone with you with a camera and you want to take pictures of the slides, I recommend that as well. We're going to cover a whole lot of information in the next 35 minutes or so. So foundational truth number one comes from what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, when he said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So foundational truth number one is this. God's top priority is building his church. That is the number one thing that God is focused on in the world. If you were to wonder like, hey, what does God daydream about? It's building his church. What is God using his resources for? It's building his church. What is God so passionate about? He's focusing everything that he has on that. Like, what is that? It's building his church. It's God's number one priority. So for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, God's top priority should be our top priority as well. The things that God is passionate about, we should figure out how to be passionate about. So foundational truth number one, again, God's top priority is building his church. Foundational truth number two is found in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. These are the, the words of the apostle Paul written to Jesus' ecclesia, his gathering of followers who were meeting in the ancient city of Corinth. So uh, Paul said this. He said, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, just imagine what the early Christians, the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians who were gathered together reading this, uh, this letter from Paul would have thought. And many of them would have pushed back a little bit mentally on Paul and said, like, Paul, no, no, you got that wrong. God's temple is in Jerusalem. That's where we go to worship God. But Paul says, like, after Jesus' resurrection, like, God changed that. After Jesus' resurrection and he rose from the grave, and he ascended back to heaven, we've got a new temple. Your body is that temple. And we together make up the temple of God. So foundational truth number two is together, we who are Christ followers make up God's temple or God's ecclesia, God's church. Then listen to how God, through the apostle Peter, builds on Paul's words. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this. Peter says this, sorry. He says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So you and I are living stones that God is specifically using to build into his temple. So foundational truth number three is this. 
God is using us as living stones to build his church. So if you would, look around at the people around you this morning. And if you're watching online, uh, someone's home or around you, look around at them. If not, look at the people here on campus. All right, so look around for just a moment. What you're looking at is God's number one plan for building his church here in Flagler County, Florida, through us. Isn't that exciting? So you're it. And if you look around and you think, God, you got another plan? Like, like, I'm not so sure about this plan. If you've ever felt about yourself, God, like, I'm pretty sure I'll screw up your plan. Like, do you want to use somebody else? God says, no, I want to use you. So this is a really cool thought. God wants to use us. God chooses to use us to build his church. God wants to use you. If you're a Christ follower, he wants to use you to build his church. He chooses to use you. Has he made a mistake? No. God doesn't make mistakes. He's chosen you to build his church. If you're wondering how in the world is he going to do that, uh, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, he shifts from talking about building God's temple to being the body of Christ. So you know, stay with me as we make that shift for just a few minutes. In verse 12, Paul said, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, well, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Like, don't you love like Paul's sense of humor as he's talking? (laughs) But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We can never say to each other in the body of Christ, I don't need you. We can never look at someone else that's a part of our ecclesia, part of our body, and say, you're not necessary here. Everyone's necessary. Everyone's needed. God has has placed you as a part of this body, and we need all of our parts to function the way that God has designed us to function. In verse 27 Paul continues and he says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. And here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then, those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. So we're going to pause there for just a second. In in verse 27, Paul starts by talking about different roles that God has given for certain people within the church for building his church. And he starts with the apostles. And we learned about the apostles last week. They're also known as the 12 disciples. Those were the first people that Jesus gathered into his ecclesia to start his church 
family. Those were the first. And then Paul talks about prophets. Those were people that spoke on God's behalf to God's people. And then there are teachers and teachers who work on trying to help people apply God's truth to their lives. And then after describing those few roles, he shifts to describing spiritual gifts. And we need to know that there's a difference between a role or an office within the church and a spiritual gift. So the role that I have is pastor. You might have the spiritual gift of pastoring. You might not have the role of pastor, but you might have the gift of pastoring. So hopefully I'll I'll be able to make that make a little bit more sense as we continue on. But in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So we're going to unpack that for just a few minutes. We'll start with what Paul says about these spiritual gifts. He says, every Christ follower is given a spiritual gift. If you're a Christ follower, you have at least one, and that is a special ability given directly by God when you join Jesus' ecclesia by putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you do that, you get at least one spiritual gift. And I'm curious to know, for those who are a little bit more familiar with this, how many of you know what your spiritual gift is? If you would hold your hand up for just a moment. Okay, so uh, a few folks know their spiritual gift. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, don't worry, I'll tell you how you can learn about your spiritual gift in a few minutes. So Paul says that every Christ follower is given a spiritual gift and its purpose is to help each other. Spiritual gifts aren't given to benefit us. Spiritual gifts are given to benefit other people and to build the body of Christ. So the reason that we should attend church is not just to receive from God's family, but to give to God's family. Again, that's how God is building his church. And foundational truth number four is God has equipped us to build his church. Again, if you're a Christ follower, you can't say, well, well, God hasn't equipped me for that. That's not true. God has given you a special ability for the benefit of building his church. Now, there are several Bible passages where you'll find spiritual gifts identified, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. So I encourage you, if you want to spend some time later today reading through those passages, you'll learn a little bit more about spiritual gifts in in those those lists that are there. Now, if you uh, do an online search for spiritual gifts, you'll find different lists. You'll find some that are shorter, some that are longer. You'll find some debate about those spiritual gifts. You'll find some debate about uh, some folks don't believe that certain spiritual gifts are still in existence today. You'll find others that believe other gifts are still in existence today. You'll find debate about how we have defined and interpreted 
spiritual gifts. So as I walk through the the 20 spiritual gifts that I'm going to identify for us this morning, I recognize that you might disagree with my presentation. I get it. Guess what? There's a whole lot of people that disagree with an understanding of spiritual gifts. So we're all on the same page when it comes to that. So um, remember that as we walk through this. All right, so I'm going to spend some time walking through 20 different spiritual gifts. We're going to start with the gift of administration. This is the supernatural ability to organize and strategize. So again, spiritual gift that God gives to certain people for building the body of Christ. And uh, these people just have that, 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 that gift from God where they walk into a situation and they recognize like, oh, we could do this better. Uh, We could organize it this way, we could strategize it this way, and we could even reach more people for Christ. And I think that my assistant, Holly, has this spiritual gift. Now, she is amazing. So yes, Holly is is worth celebrating. Um, If you know anybody at our church, you should know Holly. Uh, she is the one behind the scenes that really makes so many things happen. Uh, often we'll be in a discussion about something and she'll be working on a task that, that we have and she'll come back and say, well, that didn't work, but did you think about this or that or this? And she'll offer several more options for how we could strategize together and move that thing forward. And that's amazing. So if you wonder like, hey, do I have the spiritual gift of administration? When you go home, look at your pantry. If your pantry has labels, you might have the spiritual gift of administration. Okay, Um, next is apostleship. Um, This is the ability to launch and lead new ministry ventures. Uh, So I have several friends that have this spiritual gift, and it's kind of like the Apostle Paul. So when the Apostle Paul uh, was transformed by Jesus, he went around the known world starting new churches. And he would start a church. He would spend some time investing in those leaders. He would hand it off, and he would go start another church. And uh, I've got several friends that have that gift to do that. So they'll start a church, spend several years building that church, hand it off to a pastor, and then they'll go start another church. They constantly have this drive to start this new thing, again, for advancing God's kingdom and building God's church around the world. Next is discernment. This is the ability to recognize truth and error, or truth or error. So people with this spiritual gift, when, when someone's teaching um, something related to scripture, they hear somebody talking, you know, maybe in an office setting about something spiritual, they've got their antenna up, and they recognize like, ooh, uh, uh, alarm's going off. Like, that does not sound like truth. It doesn't sound like God's truth. Uh, or, hey, uh, that does sound like God's truth. And often, people with this spiritual gift have a a pretty good handle on scripture to be able to back up what they're sensing with that spiritual gift of deciding, like, hey, is that truth or or not truth? So um, that's a a great spiritual gift to have uh, some people around you who have that when you're trying to recognize, hey, is this thing that I'm interested in engaging, is it truth? Or is this thing that somebody has said, is it truth or is it error? So that's a good gift for that. The next spiritual gift is encouragement or exhortation, this ability to encourage and challenge others in their faith. So these are the cheerleaders uh, of the the body of Christ. So they're cheering you on in your faith or the faith that you're interested in having, and they use their faith for that as well. So they're, you know, cheering everybody on, come on, like we can do this, like you can make it through that. And sometimes um, their encouragement will come into the form of a challenge where they'll challenge you and say, like, listen, like, I want to challenge you to step up a little bit step up in your relationship with God. It comes from 
this desire to encourage you in your faith. So that's what the gift of encouragement looks like. Then we've got the the gift of evangelism. And these are people who share their faith with everyone everywhere. Like they just love to tell people about what Jesus has done for them. And they want those people to make a decision uh, to put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. My mom has this spiritual gift. Everywhere I go with my mom, she's telling somebody about Jesus. We go to lunch. And she's telling our server about Jesus and asking, how can we pray for you? We're about to pray for our meal. How can we pray for you today? After uh, our meal, uh, she'll, she'll say, ask a question like this. Hey, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Because I would sure love for you to be in heaven with me. And my mom loves to do that. My mom goes to the same gas station most often when she gets gas so she can have spiritual conversations with the employees there. And she's had many spiritual conversations with those employees. What kind of conversations do I have when I get, go to the gas station? to get gas. Uh, $50 and pump 14, please. Of course, right now it's about $100 and pump 14. But my mom has that spiritual gift. Next gift is faith. This is a strong belief of God being in control of everything. People with this spiritual gift are not rocked easily. So something rough comes into their life or happens in the world, and they have this strong, stable faith. God's still in control. God's going to get us through this. Um, if, if you're ever in a spot where you're questioning your faith and you know someone has this gift, like go spend some time with them. Uh, they will encourage you in your faith. Next gift is giving. This is generously giving for advancing God's kingdom. And people with this spiritual gift, like they love to give their resources, whether that's financial or whether that's just stuff. And they know someone has a need, they just want to give. And I've got several friends that have that spiritual gift and they give substantially. Um, they make money. And when they make money, they understand everything that comes to their hands is a gift from God and they want to use it well. And so they just pass it on. Like, hey, I want to advance God's kingdom in this way. I want to invest in my financial resources or my resources in God's kingdom for all of eternity. And they love to do that. Maybe you've got that spiritual gift. Next is healing. This is a supernatural ability to heal the sick. And you see this very active as the the New Testament church was starting off after Jesus' resurrection. So there were several disciples that were engaging this spiritual gift and healing people. And and I'll just just say there's some people that believe that this gift is not in existence today, that it's actually died off. And I believe that that, uh, it still is in existence today. I believe that God still heals. Now, does God still use specific people for this spiritual gift? Maybe. I'm not sure. I personally don't know anybody that has a spiritual gift. If you have this spiritual gift, I think you should go to every hospital you can go to and use that spiritual gift. Um, so again, I think it could still be an active today, be active today. Next is hospitality. This is the ability to create warm and welcoming environments so people can take a step towards Christ. And I think my mother-in-law has this spiritual gift. So if you ever go to my mother-in-law's house for any reason, she will start asking, "Uh, can I get you a drink? Uh, Can I make you a meal? Uh, What would you like for dessert? Like It might not even be mealtime. And my mother-in-law is ready to prepare you a meal uh, so that you feel welcomed and cared for and loved on as you're in her presence. And uh, it's an amazing gift to be around. And, uh, you know, this is a gift that we want uh, people who have to be using on our connections team to help us create a hospitable, that's a big word, environment where people can feel welcomed. 
All right, our next spiritual gift. Leadership, this ability to vision cast, problem solve, and lead towards spiritual growth. Um, and some of these gifts are, are somewhat connected to each other. So um, if you have the gift of apostleship, you might have that gift of leadership as well. Uh, and you recognize like, hey, there's some problems here and that, that need to be solved. And I'm going to rally a group of people to help us solve these problems. And we're going to lead forward in advancing God's kingdom with this specific ministry or in this church, in this community. And uh, that's a, an amazing spiritual gift to have around you. Next gift is mercy. This is the ability to emotionally and spiritually care for people in crisis. These people have large amounts of compassion. So, you know, sometimes you might see somebody at work and you're like, oh, okay, let me not look at them because I'm sure that like, like their needs will overflow into my life and they'll want to sit down and have an hour conversation. These people don't mind those conversations. These people love to, to sit in someone's story and help them understand how they can step out of maybe the mess that they're in in that moment. Next spiritual gift is miracles. So supernatural ability to do things that normally can't be done. And again, the early church, as it started, uh, we see evidence of that. There were several disciples that were performing miracles. Now, uh, some folks believe that this has died off. Do I know anybody personally that has the spiritual gift of miracles? I don't. Does that mean it's not here? It doesn't. I don't know everybody in the world. Um, just saying, I don't personally know anybody right now in my life. Okay, next spiritual gift. Pastoring or shepherding is the ability to care for, protect, and guide people towards God. Again, as I talked earlier, there's a difference between a role, the role that I have as a pastor. You might have the spiritual gift of pastoring and shepherding. Maybe you're a small group leader, and you love to invest in your small group and guide them towards faith in, in Christ. And, and you know how to help certain people move forward, what certain people need, what maybe the next small group study that you need to engage to help your whole group go forward in their relationship with God. So that's a picture of what it means to, to have that spiritual gift of pastoring and shepherding. Next is prophecy. And this is telling people God's truth for today. The book of Hebrews uh, that in that book, the author tells us that long ago, God spoke through prophets. So God would speak to a prophet, and that prophet would speak to God's people. And then that author tells us, today, God speaks through his written word. So today, what prophecy uh, most often looks like is someone who has a, a great understanding of scripture and is able to speak scripture into someone's life. And uh, when it comes to end times, and you look kind of around the world at what's happening, those people are the ones saying like, hey, like that certainly sounds like what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he was talking about end times. Like, hey, I, I think we're getting close. I think he's coming back soon. Like, hey, we all need to be ready for that. So that's a, li a little picture of what prophecy is like. Then we've got serving. These are action-oriented people who love to meet people's needs. I think... Brian Baker, our local missions pastor, has this gift. If you have a need, Brian will do anything and everything he can to meet that need. And he often says that, hey, he, I can't do everything, but I can sure do something. And so these are the action-oriented people that love to jump in and meet people's needs when they have that. Next, we have teaching. This is instructing people how to understand and apply biblical truth. 
so these folks love to, to learn biblical truth and then not only learn it, but to tell other people about it. Like, hey, I got to tell you what I learned today in, in my, my time with God and what I learned in scripture. And then here's, I think we can apply this to our lives. So these people love to learn and also love to teach other people. Next, we have tongues. This is a supernatural ability to speak in a known foreign language for evangelism purposes. And we, again, we see this as the New Testament church was started. In Acts, you'll see uh, all kinds of people were gathered in Jerusalem. And these people were from all over the known world. And they spoke many different languages. And after the Holy Spirit showed up, he gave Jesus' disciples the ability to speak in known foreign languages so that they could tell people what Jesus has done for them. And many people were saying, like, how is this possible? Like, you don't come from my country. You don't speak my language. And yet I hear you speaking my language, telling me about Jesus. That was a picture in that context in Acts chapter 2 of someone using that spiritual gift for evangelistic purposes. And there's also a reference in 1 Corinthians um, 13 and 14 that, that this also includes a private prayer language as well. Next is interpretation of tongues. So uh, um, the spiritual gift of tongues and the ability to interpret tongues often went together. And you may not have that, both of those gifts by yourself, but someone else might have that gift. And that was to interpret what you were saying. If you have the spiritual gift of tongues, you're telling somebody who speaks another language about what Jesus has done for them, then somebody with the gift of interpretation is able to define that for other people who are listening, who are saying like, I have no idea what you're saying. You're speaking French. I don't get it. So that person can interpret that for other people's benefit. Next, we have word of wisdom. This is the ability to provide wise counsel. And again, often this person has an understanding of scripture. And if you know somebody with this gift, don't just ask them, hey, is this a good thing for me to do or not? Because they won't answer that question. Regardless of whether it's a good thing for you to do or not, if you're trying to make a decision, their question is, is this a wise thing for you to do? Wise is a better question than is this good? And so if you're trying to make a decision about whether you should engage something or not, uh, someone with, with this spiritual gift is someone worth tapping into. Then we have uh, what's called a word of knowledge. So it has two parts to it. So there's knowledge and understanding of scripture. So this is similar to the gift of teaching. So an understanding of scripture and how to apply that to different people's situations and to give that to, to certain people. So th these people have just this amazing ability to learn scripture, apply scripture, and offer scripture to other people. Another part of that is the ability to know things that wouldn't normally be known about a person or a situation. So Peter is an example of that. And we learned about this several weeks ago when Jesus took his disciples on this field trip to Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded and said, you're blessed, Simon, because no human being has told you this. My father in heaven gave you this information. So it was information given directly from God to Peter in that moment. He didn't get it anywhere else. And people who have that spiritual gift often have insight that God has given them about someone or about a situation. Again, they didn't get anywhere else. Now, all of these spiritual gifts are used to build the body of Christ. 
And again, I know that was just a brief overview, and there's a whole lot more. If you want to dig into that, I've got some resources that'll help you do that. But let's just pause for a minute. Would you help me thank Katrina, who's running our slides today? Uh, she's doing an amazing job back there. So thank you, Katrina, for helping. Um, when our tech team saw my uh, message slides uh, for this message, they all went like, oh, I think these are the most slides we've ever had in our church. So thank you for Katrina for helping us get through that. Again, if you're a Christ follower, you have at least one of those spiritual gifts. You may have more, but you have at least one. And if you're curious uh, to learn what spiritual gift that you might have, I, I recommend uh, that you take this uh, QR code, follow that to a spiritual gift test that you can actually take. So I took this spiritual gift test uh, that I'm going to recommend to you, that I am recommending to you. And it says that I might possibly have the, the gift of discernment, mercy, encouragement, and teaching. Now, teaching is questionable. I'll let you decide whether I, I have that spiritual gift or not. All right, so let me just tell you about uh, spiritual gift tests. Uh, they have limitations. Again, we don't have a full picture in Scripture or full definitions in Scripture of spiritual gifts. So it's very difficult for us to standardize these and say, this is exactly what each spiritual gift means. We have some definitions. We have some examples. And so we've pieced some of that together. And we have to be careful with uh, a spiritual gift test that we think, like, well, this is going to tell me exactly what I, what I have. Like, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Um, but I think it's worth taking the test to kind of discover what your gifts might be. But the best way to discover what your gifts are or to get active in serving, let your gifts be revealed, and let other people confirm it. So I have known people who have told me, this is a spiritual gift that they have. And me and other people go, no, you're, no, that's not right. You don't have that gift. You'd like to have that gift, but you don't have that gift. Uh, you're, you're really not good at that. But you do have a gift. So we want to help those people find that, find that gift. Again, the best way to discover that is to serve. As you're serving, it starts being revealed. So for example, like maybe you'd start serving on our prep team and our, our setup team that comes in Sunday morning and, and transforms this middle school and elementary school to be a, a spot where this ecclesia can meet. And maybe you find yourself like saying like, hey, you can do this. Like, come on, like we can do this together. Let's go together as a team. You might have the spiritual gift of encouragement. You might walk in and look at everything and go like, oh, there's a better way to do this. <laughs> like, like they need to reorganize this. You might have the spiritual gift of administration. So again, using your gift, serving in some capacity within the body of Christ helps to reveal your gift, and then other people can confirm the spiritual gift that you have or might have. So I want to challenge you. If you're a Christ follower, whether you call this your church home or not, I think you should find a place to serve. Find a spot. Dive in. Help that church grow to be all that God wants them to be. And dive in and serve. If you want to find out how you can serve here at Epic, stop by our Connection Center and have a conversation with somebody there. So let me recap our foundational truths that we've learned so far. So, so far we've learned God's top priority is building his church. Number two, together Christ followers make up God's church. Number three, God is using us as living stones to build his church. And number four, God has equipped us to build his church. 
Now, Matthew 28 gives us our fifth foundational truth, our fifth building block for how God is building his church. And it gives us the mission, the purpose that God has given us as a church. So Jesus said this in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, he said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, stay in your nice little church circles. Make it hard for outsiders to get into my ecclesia. Create church experiences that are unfriendly and unwelcoming. Learn my truth, but don't worry about applying all of it to your lives. And make sure that you make it difficult for people outside my church to know how much I love them. That's how I want you to build my church. Aren't we so glad that Jesus didn't say that? But when you interview people around the world about their church experiences, it seems like maybe this is what Jesus said. Because in many church circles, we're doing a really good job of fulfilling this. But this isn't what Jesus said. So Jesus said this. He said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. Don't stay in your little circles. Therefore, go. Leave your little circle. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So to build God's church, God has given us a mission. The mission is to go. It's not to stay. The mission is to go into all the world, tell people about Jesus, to go across the room, across the street, across the office, across the state, across the world, to tell people what Jesus has done for them. That's called evangelism. And you may or may not have the spiritual gift of evangelism, but God has asked every Christ follower to be an evangelist. And I don't know what you think when you hear the word evangelist, but when I hear that word, I often think of a TV preacher that comes off like a shady used car salesperson. And no offense if you sell used cars, like that's not personal. Um, but often we have this idea of like, like no, like I don't want to be that kind of person at, at school or at the office. You know, people are going to think I'm weird and you know, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say if I'm telling you know, them about my faith. But think about this. If the people around you, the people in your family, if the people at work, people at school, people in your neighborhood, people at the gym that you might uh, visit, people in the store that, that you shop around, that you see on a regular basis, if they don't at some point in their life put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will die and spend an eternity apart from God in a real place called hell. God can't stand the thought of that. That's why Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come to earth to die so that wouldn't have to be possible. And God has placed us around those people. And he wants us to care enough about those people to open our mouths and share our faith, to talk to them. And again, the decision of whether they receive Christ or not is up to them. But often people are needing a spiritual conversation, needing somebody to care enough about them to say like, hey, like, hey, I love you. Have you considered your eternity? Have you considered life beyond this life? Have you made a decision for Jesus? Like, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. 
Sometimes we think we have to know more about our faith to do that, but that's not necessarily true. And the Bible gives us an amazing example of that in John chapter 9. It records the time that Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And you would think everyone would have been so excited for this guy after Jesus healed him. And he could see for the very first time in his entire life. And yet not everybody was excited. The religious leaders were ticked off. They were angry at Jesus for healing this guy in this context. So they pull this guy in. They interrogate him. They ask him all kinds of spiritual questions about Jesus. And this guy responds and says, listen, I don't don't know all those answers to all those questions you're asking. But I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. Listen, like I can't answer all those questions, all those deep theological questions you're asking. Like I'm not really sure how to answer that, but here's what I know. I was blind before I met Jesus. I met Jesus, and now I can see. This is his Jesus story. This is how his life was transformed by Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, you have a Jesus story. That's the story you should tell. What was your life like before you met Jesus? What prompted you to put your faith in? in Jesus. And then what's your life been like since you've met Jesus? That's your Jesus story. I think we should all have a 30-second version of that, a three-minute version of that, and a 30-minute version of that for whenever the context allows us to engage that spiritual conversation and tell someone our Jesus story and what Jesus has done for us. So we all have that story. If you're a Christ follower, we need to learn how to share it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So as a Christ follower, you're always being watched. People at work are watching, people at home in your neighborhood, they're watching you. And when you navigate complex, difficult situations and remind yourself that God is ultimately in control, people look at that and think like, how in the world can you have that kind of hope? Where does that come from? And we should always be ready for those opportunities to share our faith in Jesus and the faith that they could have and the hope that they could have in their own lives as well. Again, that's how Jesus is helping to build his church. And if you want to learn, learn more about sharing your faith, I put some resources on our spiritual growth challenge that you can pick up in our lobby. If you're watching online, you can download the link as well. So again, why should we attend church? It's not just to receive, that's a part of it, but it's also so that we can give and so that we can fulfill the mission that God has given us, the purpose he's created his church, was to invite more people into it so that we can be a part of his eternal family that will live forever. So in summary, here's our five foundational truths, our five building blocks we've been learning today. So number one, God's top priority is building his church. Number two, together, Christ followers make up God's church. Number three, God is using us as living stones to build his church. Number four, God has equipped us to build his church. And number five, God wants us to invite more people into his church. That's how Jesus is building his church today. As we close... I have four final challenges for you. My first challenge is this. Explore the resources on our spiritual growth challenge to discover your spiritual gift and for for you to learn a little bit more about how God has wired you and how you can share your faith. So get get a copy of that and dive into those resources this week. My second challenge is this. 
Start serving and discover your spiritual gift. God has given you a gift. And when you don't use it, not only do you suffer, the body around you suffers. The body of Christ suffers. So start using your gift. Number three, share your faith this week. There are opportunities all around you to share your faith. We just have to be bold enough to insert ourselves into those conversations and uh, start a spiritual conversation to help guide someone towards Jesus. And we can do that by sharing our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And finally, invite someone to church. Invite someone to church. That's a simple way that we can help someone understand what God has done for them and the church family that God has created for them to be a part of. And in two weeks, we're going to start a new series on Jesus. And I would love for you to invite people to be a part of that. That'd be a great opportunity for someone new to learn about what Jesus has done for them. So um, as we close today, I encourage you to, to process through, God, which one of those things do, do you really want me to grab a hold of and engage this week? And then next week, we're going to answer this question. How are Christ followers supposed to be on offense without being offensive when it comes to engaging the world with our faith? So I asked that question at the end of week one in this series. And since then, I've had multiple people ask me each week, hey, when are you going to answer that question? So if you've been waiting for three weeks, next week I'm going to answer that question. I hope that you'll be here with us for that. So thanks for being with us today. I know I covered a whole lot of information. Um, if, if you need to listen to this message again, you certainly can uh, to absorb it a little bit more. I'm going to ask you to please stand with me. We're going to pray, and then um, we're going to sing together. So God, it still blows my mind that you said, Jesus, you would build your church, and the gates of hell wouldn't stand against it that building your church would be your number one priority. And the part that blows my mind is that you would want to use me to build your church, that you'd want to use us. Like, why would a perfect God want to use imperfect people to build your church? Lord, I'm not sure why, but that is your strategy. And you've equipped us to build your church. You want us to use our gifts. You want us to fulfill the purpose that you've given us as a church family to invite more people into your eternal family. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us what our spiritual gifts are, how to use those spiritual gifts. I pray that you would teach us as a church family how to share our faith in you and how to, how to model that well in our community, how to, how to model and represent you to our community who desperately needs to know what you, Jesus, have done for them. So Lord, I, I pray that there would be something unique about this ecclesia, this gathering of your followers. I pray that as we leave here, like, like we really would, would grab a hold of that mission that you've given us, not to stay in our nice little circles, our nice little Christian huddles, but to go into our community, go into our neighborhood, go into our offices, go into our schools, and tell people what you, Jesus, have done for them because of your incredible love for the world. Thank you for loving the world. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.
Amen.